Hello, I'm Rebecca Casalino, and this is Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to talking to artists on the fringes of the Canadian art scene. Rebecca Payne is a queer rural artist who is trained in painting, drawing, and printmaking. They have an appreciation for banal and liminal spaces and practice sitting with fleeting moments that, in one year, one day, one minute, will pass and may never happen again the same way. Their current work explores transitional themes of experiencing loneliness, awkwardness, and the atmosphere within banal spaces. Our conversation was recorded in Hamilton within Treaty 3 territory on the ancestral land of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe nations under the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Agreement. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, how's it going, Rebecca? Good, thanks. Uh, Where are you right now? I'm in rural Ontario, just chilling in my room right now. Um, I have my mood lighting on, um, including my favorite yellow lamp which I feature in a lot of my drawings. Yeah, I, I want to talk, I guess, a bit about, like, we met at University of Guelph and, like, the kinds of mediums you were doing um, then. Like, how did you start out your artist practice? So, yeah, I guess once I started out at University of Guelph, that's kind of when I started developing a practice more and that initially started out with a lot of painting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there... Since leaving University of Guelph, um, I've kind of gone back into drawing, specifically with permanent markers, but drawing and painting um, a little bit more. I feel like permanent markers are so scary for people, but like that's also what I use for a lot of my drawings. I use black permanent markers. I'm not as adventurous as you. Um, but how did you start getting into drawing with markers? Um, so I started into those mostly mostly because I didn't really have access to a studio anymore. So I wanted to go into something that was really easy to pack up. Um, And the nice thing about permanent marker being so bold, like it, it just goes exactly where you want it (laughs) there. Um, So yeah, I got into that just because of um, not having access to a studio space, Um, but ended up really liking um, how bold all the different colors were and the kind of commitment that you have to use. Yeah, I think that's why I like it too, like commitment. It almost feels like, um, I don't know if in drawing people told you to ever like draw without an eraser, you know, make confident lines. Exactly. But um, also I recently discovered that um, like since they're alcohol based, if you use alcohol, you can kind of like make it go away. So it's actually not full commitment anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. I knew that for like graffiti purposes, like um, if I ever drew on like a wall or like a washable surface and the alcohol would you know, eat away at it or like hand sanitizer. But do you use that on paper to like erase? Um, so I haven't really used that for any like work that I've shown, but for yeah. more personal work, yeah, like it, it turns out into like a really cool watercolor effect. Oh. Cool life hack. So like you're developing techniques with these markers then? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like you're like the reason that I I look at these permanent marker drawings and they still feel like paintings to me and I don't know why because like they look it looks like cross hatching when you're filling everything in but it does still feel very painterly do you feel like it's it's more um you're drawing from like painting techniques or like drawing techniques when you're using the markers Mm -hmm. um I would actually say 
that's fairly spot on. Like I definitely, like my drawing practice now definitely stems from how I view, how I make paintings. Mm -hmm. Um, So sorry to say that in kind of a confusing way, but yeah, basically um, the way that I'm thinking about layering colors and building colors still comes from the same way that I would make a painting. Mm -hmm. Um, And like the cross hatching and stuff like that still very much comes from like a drawing technique. Um, but the way that I layer the colors, um, is definitely how I'd use in a painting. Yeah. It's so cool. And like, I guess for listeners too, we should probably talk a bit about like your subject matter. Cause like, that's super important. Are you drawing like what's around you all the time? Or, um, is there like some kind of conceptual backing to it? I'm just like curious where your inspiration for like these kind of like subjects or like still lifes come from. So yeah, these these still lives do come from around me throughout the day. I'd say that it kind of started from a point where I was really enjoying the lighting of certain setups. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also kind of taking into consideration, like, like I I really like still lives is kind of like a diary for me, like what's going on throughout the day. And just like the little setups that happen naturally, like for instance, right now, the nightstand that's beside me, I have two mugs and a and a glass mug as well. So like I might see that like the lighting kind of like the composition that's there that's been set up not purposely, like mm-hmm. it just kind of like as it is um and just kind of go with that to kind of like document something that's happened to me during the day. Yeah, so do you take a picture without like rearranging anything or do you like sit down with a sketchbook or do you just like go into the markers right away? Usually I'll snap a photo just usually because I don't have time to draw right then. For sure. Um, but I want to capture that moment specifically. I think there have been a few instances where I do draw from life, but for the most part, it's from photo. And is that about like capturing the light in that moment or capturing the composition or kind of like both? Um, I'd say for me, it is both of those things. Yeah, like um, the one that I'm looking at um, in my kitchen right now was like the, it's so funny that you didn't know that I owned this tea kettle. I swear that we'd had a conversation about it, but another artist that I was talking to, I guess, also like is obsessed with this tea kettle that you can buy. Um, I can't remember what brand it is, but like it's like see-through and like glows blue when it's boiling and like stops being blue when it's done. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I got one of your, or did you send me this drawing? I can't remember. I sent it to you. <laughs> I was so excited. So Rebecca sent me this drawing and it's like this beautiful blue glow coming from this kettle and then like hot pink background. Um, and you're not the first artist that I've encountered that like works with this tea kettle. I swore it was you that I chatted with, but it was, it was someone else. So you're not the only person obsessed with tea kettle light. Um, <laughs> it's so fun I can understand why <laughs> yeah so like how do you approach that like capturing of light process like I'm I'm very much not a drawer like color scares the crap out of me and you like captured this tea kettle so well I would say the markers specifically for the like still life drawings with markers they make it really easy because with the markers there's only like a certain amount of colors that you can work with mm-hmm. so the decision to like go for more bold colors is already made for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice in that sense. And then a really boring answer. Um, <laughs> so I actually set up like fun colored lights all around the house. Nice. So basically since I'm around it all the time, like I just 
it just kind of, I don't know. You've like Sorry. absorbed it. No, I, I totally understand. Like um, when I was doing my thesis and like I've posted some shots of my apartment, but like my research was all about like multiple making. And when I moved into my new apartment, like nothing was hung up and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't write. And then as soon as I started installing all my multiples, like I could write again because it was like around me, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. That makes sense. Like it, I think it really does matter like what artists surround themselves with and like that's why going into people's studios is so cool. You kind of get to see like a little snippet of like their personality or their brain, I think. Yeah, for sure. But you set up your house like this, like on purpose or like this is how you live in like the day to day. You're just like one of those people that have like seven light sources. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I love lamps. Um, <laughs> in my room right now, I think I currently have four lamps. And I would have more if not for my best friend talking me out of um, buying mm-hmm. a few more. Um, they all have fun colored light bulbs nice. so that I can set them to like whatever mood I want the room to be in. Um, and I think that makes it really nice for like being interested in still lives because not only does it help like looking at the same things every day in different light, um, but it also makes it more interesting for like when I do choose to kind of like depict the things that are already around me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I think it was Monet who like painted the same haystack at like every time of day and was like super obsessed with like light and then there's another artist who like painted the same mountain like same thing do you feel like your lamps are kind of that for you like a subject that you come back and revisit or is it more about like the still life itself I would say it's it's more so the subject matter Mm -hmm. um but I definitely agree in the sense that like different lighting can totally change the feeling um, of the entire thing. Yeah. You said the word mood too earlier. And I was wondering, like, do you set the mood with with colors or are you responding to a mood that you already feel? Like, how does that factor into when you're making these? I would say it's a bit of both. I think because basically when I'm, like, making art – since it's kind of like in response to my day, like my mood's always going to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like they're they're really tied together for me because my mood is already brought into the art because that's what I'm feeling at the current time. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, I'm like depicting, like I will take a photo so that I like have a photo reference because the lighting also tends to change pretty frequently. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do try to make the art like quickly as it's happening. Um, so I feel like it's kind of like symbiotic in that sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. Do you want to talk a bit about like Laundromat Cowgirl and how you came up with that that name and that persona to, to work under? Yeah, sure. I would say that the start of it for me was after I had graduated University of Guelph, Previously, I had been making a lot of art that I was trying to be very vulnerable in, and it was kind of tied to a time where I had like a series of a few traumatic events happen in my life, and I wanted to figure out a way to still kind of be vulnerable and um, talk about the things that I wanted to talk about, um, but also kind of have like a layer of separation so that I didn't feel like I was putting myself out too, too much. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that was like a really good way for me to explore emotions in a way, yeah, that I just didn't have to put myself out in the same way and just had a little layer of separation. Um, Makes it a lot easier to talk about with people that I don't know so well. Yeah. And do you think it's that idea of like putting your art 
out there to like strangers and like how the audience responds so that's what why you needed the do you call it like um your the only word I can think of is nom de plume which is like the French writer version um <laughs> your like a oh um like a pen not a pen pen name a, a pen name but there's an artist word for it and I cannot think of it for the life of me but like this alter ego how did you come up with laundromat cowgirl so for the name this was kind of at a time where I was also coming to terms with my sexuality as one does um, so yeah as one does especially after art school <laughs> when in straight <laughs> the laundromat part kind of comes from I was doing like a lot of research on like sexual identity gender identity and was coming across some really funny articles um and there was one that was kind of I don't know how I came across this. I love going down wormholes. You got I came across this article that was recommending different different ways you could try to masturbate. Amazing. <laughs> and one was um, like pumping, like towels, um, anything kind of like like that. Um, so that's the where the laundry mat part kind of comes into. Oh, because of like the washers and the vibrating and the towels and things. Yeah, in that combination part. with the fact that. I used to be really bad at doing laundry because of depression. <laughs> That's part of the combination there. And then the cowgirl is referenced to my southern rural Ontario upbringing. <laughs> in, in Jonah's episode, I think he talks about being a gender outlaw. And I remember seeing like, I think it was you and Jonah and a couple of your friends posting like gender outlaw, gender cowboy. And I just, I really loved that. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I do remember that. That's so fun. <laughs> but that's where I thought your name came from. And I, I remember asking Jonah in our interview and we never like really got into the nitty gritty of it. I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about like being a gender outlaw and, and like the cowgirl kind of persona. So yeah, I guess in that sense, like it was nice to kind of have the alter ego because I feel like I could kind of talk about things in more of a funny way. And then also having like the cowgirl character, mm -hmm. um, to reference to like and being able to like pull from things like outlaw um like my character gets to like ride a horse instead of driving a car when they get like when they leave work um <laughs> like that this week's podcast recommendation is sandy and nora's podcast confronting systemic institutional racism in this episode, Sandy and Nora discuss how systemic racism operates within democratic structures and the need for renewal. They talk about the Green Party, the NDP, and more broadly within the left. Um, and then you talked a bit about like you needing this persona to kind of like unlearn art school. What did you feel like you had to, to unlearn to like get to your practice? So the main thing that I wanted to unlearn was I, I think the, the biggest thing that I took away from art school was that like the language wasn't really that accessible to mm -hmm. like like my family members um people that I had grown up with because maybe it's different like when you grow up in the city and I don't know you have more access to like art institutions and stuff like that mm -hmm. but there's literally like no art galleries very small arts program there's not a lot going on so all of that like academic art language and even like just art language sometimes mm -hmm. is not really accessible to a lot of people and I wanted 
I wanted to make art that made sense to like the people that I grew up around as well. Yeah, yeah. Your audience was totally different. So in a sense, like I'm glad that I kind of learned what audience was in school, but then the way that I was making art and how I thought I had to make art in school was not what I was meant to be doing. Yeah, yeah. And what do you mean by like how you're meant to make art for like people who didn't have like formal art school training? Like I know exactly what you're talking about, (laughs) Um, but I feel like how many years ago did you graduate now? Um, I graduated in 2018. Okay. So coming up to, is it four years? Oh my gosh. <laughs> what is time? What is ah. time? Ah. <laughs> um, but if you can like remember that or, or speak to that a little bit, I, I think that would be like helpful for like me as well. Um, so yeah, art that I was meant to be making. So like, I feel that it's important to kind of make art that speaks to your community um, instead of make art in the language of like academic institutions instead. Mm -hmm. Um, So like what I mean, like art that I meant to make just, just stuff that connects to the people that I'm around versus like an art institution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you think um, like you've shown in a couple different galleries at like button arts factory and other places. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's, like artist-run centers like that are places where you can find your audience? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yes, in the sense that I think that they're like really good opportunities because there's so there's so many people and artists that come through mm-hmm. um, that you're kind of like bound to meet some people that you're going to click with um, or people that are going to click with your art. And then the, <laughs> the other side of that is there's so many people like there's so many people coming through and maybe that's the small town like gal and me just Mm -hmm. talking there's so many people that come through that sometimes it can be like from personal experience like kind of kind of hard to also kind of make those personal connections with people Mm -hmm. um, versus just kind of like I don't know I don't know it's really easy to like fall back into like talking like an academic artist I Mm -hmm. guess and in any kind of area where you're showing art, I guess. Yeah, in like an area where like you need an artist statement and like a bio, do you feel like you need to like snap back yeah. into kind of academia mode? I have kind of put in work, so I haven't like shown work for a while, so I would like to say that I don't fall back into that now. <laughs> um, but yes, that's a, that's actually, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. That's kind of where I meant to go with that, where yeah, any kind of place where they still require like an artist statement and an artist bio, like that's not, that's not going to be completely accessible for other people. And I also like, if it's not accessible for people who don't like, haven't gone to art school, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's something that I want to participate in. Yeah. So where do you feel like is a, is a good place for you to show your art that like can stay true? Do you feel like that's like your online store and like Instagram right now? I'd say in terms of the pandemic, probably yes, right now. One thing like pre-pandemic that I really loved, um, I loved art markets. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a really fun way to connect with people. I did a few like pop-up shows um, and I really love art pop-up shows. Although they're like quite informal, it's nice to have the combo of like like a music house show Mm. and 
like popping up as an arts vendor as well. Yeah. Did you help run Coal Road projects or am I making that up in my brain? No, I didn't help run it. Um, I just participated every year because I loved it. Same. Well, I only participated the one year because I was only there one year, but I did also Um, love it. Looking back, even though it's over four years ago, I can still remember those and I still love them. Same. I'm like, that's where I want to go back to, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually just talking to my best friend about that too. Like we were just <laughs> reflecting and remembering how nice that was. Reminiscing. Yeah. And I feel like for me and you both, like community has a lot to do with it and like seeing people and being in the same space with like people we trust and like love how do you feel like your community's changed since since graduating and since like you know becoming a, a full-time working person and an artist mm-hmm. that's a tricky one because I feel like in terms of art communities like I feel like I'm in a few slash mm-hmm. also kind of on my own in a sense because yeah. I'm out in the middle of nowhere it's funny like when I'm applying to opportunities nothing's nothing's like specifically for like living in a rural area like so I feel like I'm kind of like lying sometimes being like, <laughs> I'm definitely in Waterloo region. Um, and well, I'm definitely in the GTA, like <laughs> sure, I live in Ontario. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so like in terms of community, like, yeah, Guelph, there was, I met a lot of really amazing people um, doing cool things. So it's really nice in the sense that especially with like Instagram and various platforms, it's been nice to stay in contact with people um, and see them really like grow as emerging artists and people too. Um, So it's still nice to like stay in contact with everyone, but it's definitely like, it feels like everyone's dispersed a little bit, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, especially with adding working into the picture. (laughs) Yeah. And working, though, I feel like is kind of a source of inspiration for you. And like, I do the same thing. Um, How is like painting your workplace um, and like using Costco as like a subject? How has that changed your your drawings and your paintings? It's it's a bit of like a double-edged sword. Like sometimes I hate that I've done this to myself. (laughs) And then I go home and I think about work. I'm very much the kind of person that's like when I'm into work, I'm out of work, I don't think about it. Yeah, that's it. So sometimes I'm like, why have I done this to myself? (laughs) Um, But it's also been fun to make work about my work Mm -hmm. um, because I'm there all the time. And it's like the main thing that I do right now. So it's a little bit therapeutic. It like lets me kind of like poke fun at a very mundane thing that I do Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah it's been fun for me in that sense yeah no I like I just recently started making work about like working as a barista and all my minimum wage jobs um and yeah you're right like it it's super mundane but I also think it's super relatable and maybe that's Mm -hmm. a bit different than the fine arts approach because like traditionally if you're like air quotes a fine artist you're not also a barista you're not also a cash cashier or whatever but like that is the reality for a lot of artists right now so I feel like it's very honest of you to be like yes this is also my workplace and then to make it fun like with the magnet like wish you were here like that's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah I think it's yeah it's 
been refreshing for myself at least to have like a little bit of honesty put into it mm-hmm. um and yeah just kind of I feel like a large part of my practice at least since leaving school is trying to figure out how to add like different bits of honesty so like yeah there's like my series about Costco um there's my still life drawings um there's laundry mat cowgirl mm-hmm. so like I feel like those three separate things are kind of tied together by me trying to just provide some sort of like honest insight. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I was also wondering about like your shop. I feel like I started really seeing you like play with making multiples and wearables when you started doing like those bleach shirts where you were like painting with bleach on like (laughs) these black tops. They were so good. Um, But how has your practice changed like now that you're making multiples and like you have a shop set up on your website so all I can say is making multiples is really fun Um, (laughs) I I honestly I don't think the appeal for it like really clicked for me until recently like I was like why would I why would I make multiple of one thing when I can just make one thing no I don't know great (laughs) embrace the multiple yeah multiples are so fun I'd say like how has it changed my art practice I think it's fun for me because the little postcard that I've done, it's like, I feel kind of like commodified by work, but how can I commodify it back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I make this little postcard so I can make like a little profit off of me having to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Getting paid twice for the same gig. Exactly. Exactly. So I'd say in that sense, like right now having multiples, since I'd say most of my multiples are about work, it's Mm -hmm. kind of coming from that place for me right now. Mm. Um, I'd have to see, I feel like I'm like new to the multiples thing. So I'd have to see like long term how that changes my practice. Yeah. Yeah. Commodifying things back. (laughs) Mm. No, I think that that's, um, that's really cool. And like, definitely when I started making multiples, that was like the kind of push behind it. And sometimes it's easy to get in like the conceptual weeds, especially when you're doing research, but it kind of all comes back to that as like a screw you to like the art world, the world, capitalism, you know? (laughs) Sometimes it's a little bit of a push and pull too, because there's still like, sometimes there's still that little like fine artist in me that's like, why are you putting up posters on your site? Like (laughs) post the original. Uh, Why do you need to hold on to the original? But... (laughs) That's so funny. I think, do you think that that's your painting background that like, is that little itch in your head being like, why you do this? Yes. Um, I think like there's always been, um, like even before art school, there's always been like a little fine artist in me where I was like, I am only going to do photorealistic pictures Mm. ever. Like, (laughs) um, so I feel like it's kind of coming from that place. I've always wanted to do, like, I've always had that in me. Um, but also that's the same person who like made photorealistic paintings of like the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. So <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Who's going to win out? <laughs> Yo, my realistic, again, air quotes, realistic. I'm not a painter. <laughs> I'm thinking back to like high school when I was learning about like transparent paints, we had to paint like a still life of like a bunch of squashes. And like, that's fully the extent of my experience. <laughs> Honestly, I, <laughs> looking back, I love, I love seeing high school realism. Oh. Like, the skills, are, like, the skill is good. The oh, yeah. Subject matter, 
love it. It's a little bit camp. It's so camp. I love it. (laughs) So you're one of those people that like you can render realistically, but like choose not to then. Um, I'm not sure if I am able to anymore because I don't do it enough. Mm. But like in the past, yes. Like photorealism was my thing. That's so interesting. I always think about like David Shrigley. He's also like able to do that, but like instead makes really dumb drawings. And I, yeah. I really admire people like that. There's just some kind of like honesty and vulnerability to like the way he does mark making. And I think about like the mm-hmm. comic artist um, Ruby, etc. I don't know if you follow her, but she also kind of does the same thing. And I feel like it, it almost um would tie back to your laundromat cowgirl persona because like you have that little character that you draw um pretty consistently is that like how you picture that character yeah I would say so in a similar way one of the people that I really got a lot of inspiration from um their Instagram handle is filthy rat bag I love filthy rat bag yeah filthy rat bag and honestly I've loved um what's it called awards for good boys Oh, yes. That was a very lovely trend. (laughs) Yes, I loved that trend. I think that I started seeing that, like I I found, I came across that through Instagram. And Mm -hmm. that was also kind of around the time that I was like making up Laundromat Cowgirl. And I was like, Mm. yes, I'm taking that energy and I'm putting it into Laundromat Cowgirl. (laughs) That's amazing. And those are like some pretty strong, um, like trends of feminism in your work how do you approach that and I know like I'm not talking about turfy feminism mm-hmm. I just want to like excel ex- no turfs allowed um <laughs> my feminism um but is that kind of like a conceptual like political backing to your work indirectly yes but yeah. I feel like for like launching my cowgirl I kind of just want it to come from a place where like if I'm making a piece of work that's complaining about something like it's just coming from the point where I'm complaining about something um (laughs) like I I don't want to read into it too too much yeah um but I think like a lot yeah yeah I guess it it would like they definitely still do have political implications as well Mm -hmm. um I find yeah a lot of a lot of the things that we complain about have political implications (laughs) (laughs) so I think vulnerability is like a huge theme in your work um from like showing your workplace to like um thinking about gender and like also showing your own living space is is quite vulnerable um how do you think about that when you're when you're making and showing work yeah I think I just try to stay honest with myself in terms of like what I'm currently experiencing what I'm currently thinking in large part because like I'm very much still figuring things out as I go. Mm -hmm. Um, That's probably just life. But um, it's nice for me to like go back and reflect on. um, And then I also find like that's relatable also to just like kind of share your life experience as it's happening and like the reflections that I make about it. Um, I love when other people do that. So I like to do that as well. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of what like Filthy Ratbag and like David Shrigley kind of do. What do you feel like is is your kind of spin on it being like who you are and and where you are right now? Mm, That's actually hard for me because I find it's easier for me to like reflect on things like later. For sure. Um, So I'd say like more recently in the past, like I definitely 
like my laundry mat cowgirl comments especially had like a very salty (laughs) (laughs) I think just salty is like a good way to describe it um so I'm trying to like be more mature now um move away from that (laughs) so I'd say with my current stuff especially especially since the pandemic started is like kind of reflecting on things as they are but almost in like an idealized version Mm. um not necessarily just immediately because I'm like in love with (laughs) where I work and everything like that but just kind of like as a survival thing like oh it's not that bad like yeah yeah it does feel very like tongue-in-cheek um like Mm -hmm. empty Costco counters and like the big windows and then like wish you were here and like this very like touristy font like has that kind of like instead of it being a beach it's like a big box store is funny (laughs) yeah and like I I liked taking it one step further to the postcard as well because I find that Costco has also been like kind of a congregation place for people to meet like for sure like especially earlier people were not allowed to hang out or be in groups <laughs> and Costco was definitely like a way around that um so you definitely see a lot of people catching up hanging out loving the ambiance um not me not really understanding why (laughs) but yeah it's kind of funny to take it like one step further now that Costco has kind of been like a cool hangout spot for people like people do like going there (laughs) okay as someone who's from Oshawa I moved to Guelph when we first got our Costco I think like literally the year we got the Costco and I'm not kidding Mm -hmm. you it was the biggest deal in the whole world for Oshawa to get a Costco it like leveled up the city and it's still a cool place to like go like people go with their parents because it's fun to go I mean I can't relate to that because (laughs) so the illusion is shattered for me (laughs) that's what all my friends would say I would run into them like working at the Costco and they'd be like this is a hellscape (laughs) um yeah it's it is funny like I love that for other people no judgment like if you like going to Costco I could see how that would be fun um but just like being there and seeing the like waves of people come through like for instance um I'm so stubborn about this but if there is the like slightest hint of the lineup at the Costco gas station I will not go yeah no can't do it (laughs) I will drive 10 more minutes to go get gas somewhere else (laughs) I don't care That's so funny. No, I I worked um, as a barista in like Toronto's distillery district, which like everybody goes to for the Christmas market. And I'm not Mm -hmm. kidding you. Whenever to this day, whenever somebody says Christmas market, I give them like the dirtiest look in the whole world. (laughs) And I'm like, that is a hellscape for everybody who works there. I hope you tip well. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, I used to be a barista too. um, So I I feel that as well. In that sense, like, sometimes it's kind of nice um, also being honest about, like, showing my workplace, and it's not, it's not art for me. Yeah. Um, The nice thing about not working in the art world is that because I kind of like to pick things in, like, a salty way, (laughs) it's nice not being salty about art because that's kind of, like, kind of still, like, an an escape for me. Mm, Yeah. Do you feel like if you were, like, an arts admin, that would change, like, are you happy to be kind of like I, I find I'm happy to still be in the service industry in like a weird way because <laughs> um, it gives me that level of removal or if you could would you be like an arts admin human that's tricky um 
I feel like I could be happy in either. Um, I think I would just have to be like a lot more intentional with where I'd be working in the arts field. Mm. Um, whereas like if it's a job outside of art and I still have art to do on like on the side or not even necessarily on the side, if I just have art to do that keeps me happy, like um, it could kind of be any job as long as it fits like the certain standards of like, I needed to be this many hours. I need to feel respected by my coworkers, stuff like that. Mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. aside from that, I'm not as picky specifically about what the job itself is. Thanks for listening to Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to the fringes of the Canadian art scene. If you have an artist that you would like to hear interviewed, would like to correct and or fact check a past episode, or would just like to chat, feel free to send me a message on Instagram at Hopping the Fence or by email at rebeccaecasolino at gmail.com. Thanks to the OCAD Student Union for your financial support. And thank you to all of our patrons for your ongoing support. It truly does help me avoid burnout and keeps this podcast rolling. If you would like to support Hopping the Fence, please visit our Patreon to subscribe. Check out the show notes for more details. If you can't donate, no worries. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Audio editing for Hopping the Fence by Emily Reimer. Original artwork by Alex Gregory. And original music by Jessica Price Eisner. Thanks so much. Bye.